How many of you have bowled with bumpers? How many of you should bowl with bumpers? Yeah, okay, there's some honesty there. Okay, so I love that little clip um, because uh, today's sermon uh, is, is, it's from chapter 22 to partway through chapter 23. And depending on um, your headings, uh, mine starts off with a heading that just says, Various Laws. Um, and if, if you read this, and I forgot to send it out this week, and I apologize, but if you read this section of scripture, it really feels like the writer was a little ADHD in his approach to this, in the sense that he sat down to write down some policies and procedures for the people of Israel, and he was thinking about one thing and started there, but then the coffee distracted him and he had a cup and then he sat back down and he couldn't remember where he was. And so then he started writing on some other basic policies and then the dog started barking and so he let the dog out and then he came back and there were some other policies and it just seems like the heading is correct. It's a various policies kinds of sermon. And so um, I kind of think about this in terms of bowling bumpers uh, for today. That, that today's message takes these um, various, uh, how do they phrase it, various laws and policies for the nation of Israel and sets them up as bumpers on the bowling lane of holiness, okay? So if you can picture Israel trying to bowl a strike um, in their walk with God, Yahweh, as they enter the promised land, these various laws and policies are the bumpers that are in the gutters. Right, And so as they bowl their daily life, they will run into these bumpers that will help guide them to stay towards the pins. Does this make sense? So we're going to look at a bunch of various laws and policies today, um, and we're going to see how they um, help um, Israel stay in that holy lane ultimately uh, these things help form a unique people who value life, which is directly after the character of God. God is unique among all other everything, and he loves life. Remember, he calls life very good. And so these various policies and laws help Israel be formed into the character and the likeness of God. Now, what we're going to do is start off uh, by reading the first four verses of chapter 22, because they set the stage for what we are talking about. Um, so if you want to follow along, it's on the screen, or you can flip open into your Bibles uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. Um, and I promise this will make sense as we get into it, okay? You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. How many of you experience this on a daily basis? <laughs> You're going about your business, right? And you see your brother's ox or sheep, and it's just wandering, right? This law is so applicable to our daily life. When you see that sheep or ox going astray, you will take them back to your brother. This is explicit in Scripture. Uh, it continues. And if he does not live near you... And you do not know who he is, but there is a random sheep or ox somewhere. You shall bring it to your home and your house, and it will stay with you until your brother seeks it, and then you shall restore it to them. 
So you see an ox wandering. You don't know who it belongs to. There's no name tag system. You take the ox, but you don't keep it for your own. You care for it, and you keep it well-fed, and you tend to its wounds until someone knocks on your door and says, Have you seen my ox? And you go, I have. Here it is, and it is in better condition than when I found it. This is what scripture says to us. And you shall do the same, not just limited to oxen and sheep. You should do the same with a donkey or a garment or with any lost thing of your brother's, which he loses and you find, you may not ignore it. This is like the Deuteronomy version of lost and found, right? And everybody is a lost and found person. If it is lost and you find it and it is not yours, keep care of it until the person who lost it notices you have it or you post a Craigslist ad and say, I have found an oxen who has lost one, right? <laughs> um, last section. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. These first four verses tell us this, that embracing covenantal community binds you together in mutual care and protection. God wants his people to know that if you live in covenantal community, like the people in Israel did, if you, if you live in a community of people that are bonded together, not by um, loose strands, not by a favorite flavor of ice cream, not by something that is insignificant, but by something that is deeply significant, by something that is covenantal. And, and covenants in scripture were never ending, right? So a, you enter into a covenant and it was a thing for a lifetime. When you live together and embrace this covenantal community, which is what Yahweh called Israel to do, you were being bound together in a mutual care and protection kind of lifestyle. And that's what these first four verses tell us. If your neighbor's ox gets into trouble, you may not ignore it. You are obligated by your covenant life together with the people in the nation of Israel. You are obligated to help them. If you see a coat laying on the ground in the middle of the field, you are obligated to take that cloak, clean it, hang it in your coat closet if you have one or on a coat or wherever, right? And keep it. Until you notice your neighbor is missing their coat and they say, I lost it when I was out plowing the other day. And you're like, I found it. I kept it clean. Here it is for you. You cannot, scripture says, ignore the needs of those in your community. This is covenant life together. It means we are directly bound in well-being. If we fail to live this way, God says to Israel, then your society will fall apart then you will no longer look like a unique people among all of the nations. It will be, I'm out to get what's mine, and if I can find it, take it, keep it, and it benefits me, I will, and I can stick it to my neighbor if I need to. That is not at all the way we are called to live in covenantal community. Um, these first four declarations about um, oxen and sheep and coats, they seem weird because um, we don't live that way right? It, it's not like we are a cattle-driven society. There are not um, livestock wandering around the hills of Ketchikan. Um, and so we have to frame 
what we read in Deuteronomy and understand the overarching principle, right? And then apply that principle to modern Christ followership. Does that make sense? Because if we read this four verses and we take it at face value, then we can easily go, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah, there's no oxen, there's no sheep. I may or may not find a coat, like we sometimes end up with a lot of coats out in the foyer, a lot of like scarves and occasionally shoes and just really random stuff, right? Um, so maybe the coat thing applies, right? But we are, can easily, as New Testament Christians, exempt ourselves from the principles of covenantal living that are laid out in Deuteronomy. Now, as we go through the spectrum of seemingly random policies today, we are going to want to go, nope, I don't want to live like that. And uh, uh, frankly, many of the things, if you dive into them in great detail, are things that we should not be doing. But the overarching principle is essential for us to take away today. So that's kind of our plan for this morning. What we need to know, though, is in covenantal living, a person must be willing to intervene and restore that which belongs to their neighbor. In fact, you must take action and not wait until you are called upon. This means in New Testament Christian living, when you see a need... You must act on it. You are not permitted to wait until someone is in such desperate need that they cry out for help. But rather, in a covenantal community shaped by Christ, if you see someone in this community that has a flat tire on the side of the road, you are obligated to pull over and help them. If you see someone's car doesn't start, if you are aware that someone can't pay their electric bill, if, right, the ifs can go on forever. Don't wait for them to ask. Just act. That's what God's word says to us today. I could stop the sermon right there, right? Because that's a lot to chew on if we really want to own that. People within a covenant community cannot withhold help from each other. Otherwise, we're not living in a covenantal community. Covenant neighbors cannot withdraw from one another. They cannot hide from one another, but they must engage with neighbor care even in the most mundane circumstances. And we think in the large circumstance. We think someone's roof is falling down. Of course I'm going to go help them. Someone's having um, a personal struggle. And it's very small. It's almost like a whisper among everything else in life. But you are aware of it, and it seems so small. You are obligated to go and pray with that person, to minister to that person, to help meet their spiritual need in this covenant community. This is clear. Okay. Before uh, we, we dive into the rest, um, there are going to be a lot of various laws this morning. We're not going to dive to the bottom of each one of them, but we're going to look at kind of what they talk about and what the New Testament application is, okay? Um, and here's what we're gonna cover this morning. Building codes, environmental care, clothing, don't mix these things, 
sexual crimes, participation in the temple, personal sanitation, vulnerable people, vulnerable people, and cultic prostitution. Okay, that's a lot of various laws, right? Like, I don't know what, they just crammed them all into this section of scripture, and it seems rather disjointed, but I, I know, having studied this, they all serve a purpose. They are all things that if you open your junk drawer and you're looking for that thing, right? Bumpers for your bowling lane of holiness, okay? Um, there's just so many things that he put in here, and you go, I don't know why building codes have to do with holiness. You might want to take a stab in the dark at this one. Go for it, Blaze. I'm just curious. Protecting the people inside the building so it doesn't collapse upon them? You are very, very close. Like, gold star, okay? The building codes here, this is very impressive, um, okay? Because God's people, right, are called to value life. And as a covenantal community, we are to anticipate the need and meet it before it happens. When it comes to building codes in ancient Israel... This is verses 1 through 8 of, of chapter 22, so if you just want to follow along. Um, the building codes of ancient Israel said that when you build a second story on your home, you must build a railing so that people don't accidentally fall and kill themselves. You are obligated when you build your house to build in safety for people to be in your house. Does that make sense? It is, it seems mundane. It seems so small. It seems insignificant. But they didn't have like home inspectors back then, right? They didn't have permits that you needed to fill out at the city planning office to make sure that everything was safe. Why do we have those things? Because we don't want people getting hurt in our homes and on our property. Where does that come from? Covenantal living, right? The, the foundation of of everything we know comes from scripture. Israel was said, if you are covenantal people and you are called to call care for the people in your community, make sure that when you build your house, it's not going to kill people. As common sense, it seems, but it had to be played out. Environmental care. This is huge. This goes into the idea of not sapping resources. Don't be such a grubby, grubby taker that your neighbor can't feed themselves. If you deplete all of the resources in your area, how's your neighbor going to eat? If you stockpile everything, some of it's going to go to waste and your neighbor's going to starve. It's all about the care of life for people. Uh, clothing's an interesting one. Um, and, and it goes into more detail later when you don't mix these things. This, does this sound like Jeopardy titles to any of you? Like, as I read this, I really, I'm feeling like, I'll take um, personal sanitation for 300, please. This is what it feels like when I'm studying this. Um, and I almost made a little Jeopardy board because I thought it would be fun. But um, if, you, if you track along, verses 9 through 12, talk about don't mix things. Don't mix seeds in the ground. Like, don't plant corn and asparagus together. I don't know why you do that, but don't do it. Right? It continues about um, don't, don't hook an oxen and a donkey and plow your field with those two animals together. I know none of you would do that. Right? Okay. Fabrics. 
caught uh, wool and linen. You can't wear clothing that has been woven together with wool and linen. Right? You, you, it, it's just not, it's a boundary. And, and we today are wearing a variety of mixed textures, right? Um, and we have a very hard time understanding why these things have to do with holiness and covenant living. We don't live in that day and age. Um, a lot of these things, commentators tell us, were deeply understood innately by the people who read them. And for us, we're like, we don't, we don't understand why you can't, like, an oxen and a, and a donkey can't plow together. Like, maybe they're friends. Maybe they work together. Maybe that's the way it is. But, but get this. One was a holy animal, and one was an unholy animal. You can't yoke the holy and the unholy together. Um, that is not profitable in covenantal living to be obedient to God. God says the holy and the unholy, the sacred and the profane, need to be separated from one another. Um, the, the same is for the fields. Um, when you sow two things together, um, what they didn't know, but we know now, each type of crop takes, takes a different type of nutrient from the soil. Right? So that's why in, in modern um, farming, they rotate crops. So that when the crop uh, of a crop A depletes whatever magnesium or I don't know what from the ground, okay, then you put another crop in that restores that but depletes something else and you rotate through. If you put two crops together, you're going to deplete the ground and no one's going to be able to eat food. God says, listen, I'm here to help you. Stay the boundary line for your well-being. Now, what about the fabrics? It's interesting, though, because the, 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 the prohibition for people to not mix wool and linen together has two different, um, two different theories from our point of view. Uh, commentators are split in half. Uh, some commentators say laity, normal people, not, not the priests, not the Levites, can't, can't do that because the priests and the Levites would wear fabric that was mixed together. It was a way to separate the sacred and the not sacred in terms of people who can step before the Lord and people who can't. Other commentators say, you want to know what? People who mix their fabrics together are prostitutes. They make fabric that is alluring. And so you don't want to dress like that because prostitutes do. Which one was correct? I don't know. Either one you can apply to the holy unholy, right? Um, so what we glean is that God is saying, don't mix things that shouldn't be mixed. Don't take the unholy and mix it with the holy. Um, there are things that need to be separated. Um, uh, modern application. Uh, Romans uh, 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, perfect, and acceptable, right? So we mix all kinds of things, right? That doesn't make us unholy right now. We can mix crops. We can mix cattle. We don't in our day and age, but, you know, we might cook a pink salmon and a silver salmon together. What? Right? I know. Now we're getting real, folks, okay? Um... That, that is acceptable right now. The modern application for this is not to mix cultural practices with holy practices. Right? Don't take that which the world does and add it to that which Christ says is sufficient. That, keep that separation in, in your life. Continuing on, 
Chapter 22, verses 13 through 30, deals with sexual crimes of a whole variety of natures. Um, this is a very touchy subject, especially if you start reading and dissecting each one of these examples. Um, there is, uh, let me flip to it, uh, 13 through 30. Um, it's, it's a whole 15, 16 verses that deal with what happens when someone is accused of a sexual immorally, uh, a, a sexual immorality, whether it is adultery, um, whether it is a false accusation, whether it is accurate, and then what is to be done about that. Um, I will say this, when and if you read through this, and I encourage you to because it's the word of God, you should know that we don't live like this today by the grace of God, thank the Lord. Um, because the society that Israel lived in was incredibly patriarchal um, and justice erred for the side of men. There is glimmers of justice for women, but it is not sufficient. And that is where we need Jesus in our life. That is where we need Jesus to come in and say, um, this is wrong. Not only was the crime wrong, but the way that justice was enacted was wrong. Um, what's funny is when you read this, uh, one of the first examples in here is uh, a, a man accuses his wife of infidelity. And there's a process that Israel had to go through and sort that out. We'll let that lie. If you take that example... A man accuses his wife of infidelity. And you bring that into the New Testament. Now, the, the penalty was death in, in, in this day and age. She would be taken and stoned if found guilty. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, for a moment. Exact same situation. Accused of adultery, found to be pregnant before she got married to her husband. Her husband had every right, Joseph had every right to follow the law. And to go stone her. Glimmer of hope. Glimmer of Jesus' grace before Jesus was brought fully into the world. Conceived, but not yet brought into fullness. The husband to be, the father to be, aired with grace. Rather than saying, I'm going to take her and stone her like the law says I can. Disgrace her, bring a whole hubbub over everybody. We're going to let peace Rain. I'm going to allow her to depart in peace. We're going to have grace reign and life reign. He valued her life even though he felt she had erred against him. Then the angel came and said, Joseph, have I got a story for you. <laughs> then Joseph had a choice. He could be obedient to God and live and walk in grace and receive a child that was not his own to be his own. That would change the world forever. It also changed Mary forever. It's significant. Um, if you flip to uh, John chapter 8, or just listen, here's Jesus handling this. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery. 
And placing her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. We know what the law says, according to Israel. She should be stoned. The law also says the man has to come at the same time and be accounted for. Where is he? This is a trick by the Pharisees. They want to trick Jesus. You can't trick Jesus, right? So, so what they do is they grab this woman and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. They're not gentle. She deserves death. The man's not being held accountable for his sin here. And here, Jesus knows these things. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone this woman. So what do you say we should do? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. They were using her as a pawn. She was a piece of property. It's disgusting. Here's what Jesus says. He sat down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. You ever wonder what he doodled? Oh, I wonder. I I wonder if it was the sins of the people in the crowd. That's, That's what I wonder. I can't, I don't know, I just wonder. They continued to pester him. So he finally stood up and said, let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. And then he bent down and started to draw on the ground again. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones who had a little more wisdom than the younger ones. That was my addition there. (laughs) Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. So go now and sin no more. New Testament application. There's an immense amount of grace to be had regardless of the level of sin. What God wants us to know, sexual sin fractures the covenantal community from the marriage level and up. It can be dealt with in a way that is full of grace and love and still accountability to be had. That is the way we need to live. We need to live in such a way where that kind of sin cannot be permitted. Go back to the first four verses we read. If you know about it and you're silent, you got to say something. This kind of thing cannot happen in covenantal community or outside of covenantal community. If we care and we are people defined by the love of God, which is holy and righteous and sacred and defends life, then no matter who you are, if you are aware of this kind of sin, speak up and say something because that is what we are called to do. We go on in scripture. Uh, Chapter 23, verses one through eight. This is about temple participation. Who can come to temple and worship? This deals with a whole bunch of of interesting um, qualifications of people who can't participate in scripture or can't participate in worship. Um, Eunuchs, um, people who are born of a forbidden union. That means mom and dad weren't married, right? Um, And the original language is exactly the word you think it is, okay? Um, It it talks about uh, different cultures, They cannot enter the temple of God, even down to the 10th generation, right? Um, This is an explicit list of people who were barred from worshiping in the temple. That's kind of harsh, right? Like they're excommunicated because of their culture or because of how they were born or how they were maimed or all kinds of things 
that said suddenly this far and no further. You can stand outside the doors, but you can't come inside the doors. You can't participate in community life with us. And that's a very harsh thing to do. Um, the, the beauty of the New Testament is that Scripture tells us there is no Jew or Greek, no male nor female, nor uh, freed man nor slave, um, no uh, gay or straight, no black, no white. No, not, it's just we're people redeemed by Jesus, right? So that means that anybody can walk in the doors of our church and participate in covenant fellowship. Now, um, there are some qualifications to being part of a covenant community. That's faith in Christ. But anyone can walk in these doors and participate in life with us. Hopefully the folks who walk in the doors who participate in life with us will see a life that is alluring towards Jesus and they give their life to Christ. Think about this for just a moment in Acts chapter 8. Making sure I'm reading the right one. Acts chapter 8. The, the passage in Deuteronomy talks about eunuchs. They can't participate in the body of Christ. If you don't know what a eunuch is and you're a kid, ask your parents. Okay? Um, if you're an adult, careful on the Googling. But yeah, um, they get a dictionary and look that one up. Um, uh, needless to say, uh, they were barred from life. They were uh, to be in service of the harems and uh, in, in the king, kings and kingdoms around. They were... Um, not considered worthy of an identity. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go south to this road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza and there'll be this place and, and there he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, he was a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all of her treasure. So here's this eunuch who, who um, is in charge of all of the queen's treasure from Ethiopia. That's a pretty significant job. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Even though he could not go into the temple, he came to worship in Jerusalem. He had a heart to worship God. He was returning, and he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Um, And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip went to this man, and he said, do you understand the things that you were reading? And the man said, no, I do not. Will you guide me? So he invited Philip to come and sit. Philip sat and read the scriptures with him. And the eunuch said this, I ask you, um, what stops me from being baptized today? Because Philip shared the gospel with him. What stops me from being baptized today? In the Old Testament, everything. You can't be part of the covenantal community of God. You're a eunuch. No, I'm sorry. New Testament, grace of God. You want to know what? You can Nothing stops you. Look, a puddle. Let's get your feet wet and we'll splash it up all over you and see if we can get the rest of you wet. And you will be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and you will be a child of God and nothing will separate you from God from this point forth and forever. Right? That's the New Testament. That no one is barred from having a relationship with Jesus. Then God walks with the eunuch for the rest of his life. What that looks like, I don't know. That was between him and God. It's a funny story because um, then the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch went on rejoicing. I want to know what that looked like. I want to know what that looked like. Temple participation. In the Old Testament, there were boundaries that said "Mm, things need to be separated to keep an incredibly holy people. But when Jesus came, 
this beautiful holiness expanded beyond what we could ever hope for. Got to watch my time here. There's so much in this. Personal sanitation. I'm not going to read this section. You can read this section. Um, let's just say that some things need to stay outside the camp. Okay? Um, and one of, one of these is fascinating. If you need to use the bathroom, go dig a hole away from the temple. I don't poop where God is, is the rough translation of part of this passage. Right? Um, and, and if you read in scripture, uh, let's see, um, Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 7, verse 5. I don't know where I got the 4 from. Pharisees asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? Why don't they poop outside the camp? Why don't they uh, wash their hands before they eat? Why don't they do the things that we're supposed to do according to Deuteronomy? 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are a temple of the living God. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer do we have to go to a place to worship God. Like we come here and this is great. But we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We, pooping outside the camp doesn't work for us anymore. Right? Like God dwells with us. The holiness factor is not about what comes out of you in that sense anymore. The holiness factor is a whole different level. The words that we speak, the thoughts that we have, those are the things that God is concerned with. The last two are about uh, vulnerable people and cultic prostitution. Don't engage in cultic prostitution, period. Okay? That was the idea because they worship false gods and when you went into those prostitutes, you were worshiping those gods. And it was infidelity it was sexual sin. It's all mixed up in there. Just don't do it. That was God's rule. Vulnerable people, orphans, widows, um, uh, uh, the, the, the people who were poor, the sojourners, the refugees, people that were vulnerable in all ways, shapes, and forms. What does God have to say to us? If anyone thinks he is religious, you should know this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to take care of orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the practices of the world. Goes back to the first four verses. See a need, meet a need. Don't wait. See a vulnerable person, take care of them. Don't wait for them to be in such a place that they're starving to death. This is a great place for Christians to be big brothers and big sisters, to be mentors to um, women, to be mentors to women, men to be mentors to men, couples to mentor couples, to engage in covenantal community life with some boundaries that guide us. Now, we don't follow those Old Testament boundaries explicitly. We follow the New Testament principles. New Testament principles are that grace abounds over all sins, but we are not going to permit sin. New Testament principle. Um, that all people can be part of the community of Christ. It just means that they need to confess that Christ is Lord. 
And if they aren't ready to do that, they can still hang out with us every single Sunday. That'd be absolutely fantastic, right? Make some friends. That when it comes to personal sanitation, it's not about the tangible. Our holiness sanitation, as it were, is the internal now. But God will give us a new heart. So if you are a little bit unsanitary in the heart region, God will give you a new heart. Um, All of these things have this in common. That holiness is lived out in such a way that it will be the defining reality of our community. That um, our holiness is um, not independent from the body of Christ. Um, If we are living in a covenantal community and meeting one another's needs and following these practical guidelines then um, holiness is a form of life that can only be known in the body of Christ. That you cannot be a holy Christ follower apart from covenantal community life. It's not possible, according to Scripture. That part of your holiness, the way God forms you, is tied to being in the body. Having your needs met and meeting other people's needs. Being held accountable and holding others accountable. That if you desire to be obedient to scripture and live a life that is holy unto God, you cannot do it as a lone Christian. You have to do it in the body of Christ. In and of that comes all kinds of snafus and problems and struggles. And that's why guidelines are really important because they help us. Live a life together. I've gone way over time. I'm going to pray the worship team is going to come up. And I'm going to let God sift all of that through your minds and hearts and souls. Because something in there was going to stick out to someone. And it's going to be different for every single one of you. But I'll leave you with this. Only in covenantal community of saints is it possible for saints to be formed. Only in this seabed can we really know what it's like to look like Christ. Father, this morning we want to look more like you. We want to know you. We want to know your heart. We want to read scripture and we want to understand it as it applies to us today. And we're guilty of skipping the weird parts in scripture and the challenging parts in scripture and the parts that we can easily go, that doesn't apply to us because that's Old Testament God who's clearly not New Testament God because they look so different. But in reality, you are one God over the Old and New Testament. And the practices and policies you put into place so long ago have been made full in Christ in a way that can be summed up of love God and love your neighbor. Covenantal living. May we know what it is like to be made holy. May we taste your kingdom now. May you sort all of these things out in our mind through worship today. And may they roll around in our heart and our soul and our mind this week as we learn what it is to live in the the holy bowling lane for Jesus. When we run into a bumper, may we count it as a blessing that we have been corrected by God's people and by the Holy Spirit. We give you honor and glory and praise, and we submit ourselves now to you in worship. 
the name of Christ we pray. Amen.